Well, beloved, let's open our Bibles back to the 14th chapter of Luke, Luke 14. And last week we were here and we saw Jesus invited into the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees. And the reason that was shocking to us, shocking to the reader, is because the Pharisees were perhaps the group of people in Israel who hated Jesus the most. They were uh, very zealous about keeping the law, and we've talked on end about how they were adding to the, the law with the traditions that they were very zealous about, and Jesus has called them on it before, and it's not the last time he will do so. But we saw last week in verses 1 through 6, they tried to entrap Jesus they wanted him to violate the Sabbath. Remember, they wanted him to violate the Sabbath. They tried to get him to do something that they could clearly accuse him of. Of course, Jesus didn't violate the Sabbath, at least not according to the Word of God, but according to their their own traditions, their own regulations. And he exposed their hypocrisy. So in verses 7 through 11, he gave a parable about them, and it was a parable about how they thought, how they practiced their religion, and it was about a wedding feast. You don't go and seek one of the seats of honor when you're invited to a wedding feast. You go and you sit in the last place. You don't want to have the host say to you, move back to the, the last place because there's someone better here who's more honored. You instead, you go to the last place so that the host can come perhaps to you and say, friend, move up higher. And then you are exalted in front of everybody. Well, he also said, Jesus did in verses 12 through 14, that if you host a dinner, you don't invite people who can simply reciprocate to you. You don't pe invite people who can simply do you well on this earth. You invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, people who can't pay you back. People who can do you no earthly good, because then you'll be repaid not on earth, but at the resurrection of the righteous, which is, of course, better. You'll receive the eternal reward. Well, today we pick back up where we left off, and what could be said further between Jesus and the Pharisees at this meal? What also does it have to do with you and me today? Well, let's read and see. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, we come now to your word. We ask that you will speak to us. Because anybody can read a text and understand it on an intellectual basis. But these are your words. These are spiritual things. And so we need your spirit. We need your grace. And that's what we ask for right now. That we might glorify you as a result of what we hear from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 14, and I'm going to start in verse 15 and read down to verse 24 this morning. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, and he's talking about what we just talked about in 1 through 14, but when one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, Jesus, said to him, A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. 
Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges, and compel them to come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. The promise, beloved the promise of a Messiah to make all things right lies at the heart of what it has always meant to be a faithful Jew. Even today, there are still Orthodox Jews who are waiting for a Messiah, and tragically, they don't realize they deny the one who is their Messiah. From the fall of man into sin and into sinfulness, the hope of man has been wrapped up in one. And this one is spoken of in Genesis 3. He's the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. In Genesis 12, he's the descendant of Abraham, through whom all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. In 2 Samuel 7, he is the son of David who will reign on his throne forever. And in Isaiah 53, he is the suffering servant of whom Israel, at some point in the future, is going to repent and recognize as the one who was pierced for their transgressions and crushed for their iniquities. Now we go into this room, into this dining area, and the Pharisee may not have rightly understood all of the scriptures pertaining to their Messiah. And their view of what the Messiah would be was undoubtedly skewed. But the ones in the home of one of the leaders on a Sabbath day no doubt were waiting for the one who would come and make everything right. They were saying yes to the promises of God, and they were now waiting to say yes to the one he would send, however skewed their view of that might be. And it is like that for very many who profess to believe in Jesus Christ today. They have an idea about what is promised. They're waiting for something, but what they're waiting for may not be exactly what we actually see taught in the scriptures. It's skewed. And we've got to make sure, beloved, that we don't fall into that. And it's why we have to spend time in passages like this one. And that's why we're here today. It's a power-packed collection of verses we just read, beloved. It is This is one of Jesus' most potent teachings during his ministry. It's one of the Jews of, of Jesus' day. It's, it's one they needed to hear. And it's one that you and I need to hear as well. And it starts at the table where they were eating when one of the Pharisees at the meal reclining there with Jesus and he's just heard Jesus say all these things we read in verses 1 through 14 last week he responds with blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God this is this is a beatitude it's a statement it's a statement of blessing when we think of the beatitudes we think of uh, of of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, 
Blessed are you when you are persecuted in my name. Those are Beatitudes. We also see Beatitudes other places in scriptures like the Psalms. But here is it is another one. And in this setting, really, it, it, it's what amounts to a toast. He was toasting himself. He, he was toasting his fellow Pharisees because in his mind, he and they were the ones that he was talking about. They were the ones who were so pleasing to God because you know the Pharisees, you can say this about them, they were so zealous about making sure every proverbial eye uh, was dotted. They, they were making sure that every proverbial T was crossed. The Pharisees had no doubt, this Pharisee had no doubt that they, that he, would be among those blessed eating bread in the kingdom of God. This was a pronouncement of blessing upon themselves. But it was also a comeback. It was a rebuke against what Jesus had just said. Because what had Jesus just said? Do not seek the place of honor. And the Pharisees pretty much by default in self-righteousness felt that they were the ones that should be honored. This Pharisee didn't get the parable. He he missed it in pride. Uh, he missed the point about coming to God as if poor or crippled, lame, blind. He missed Jesus' point about being humble in your own heart, humbled by your own sinfulness, humbled by the knowledge that you are not worthy to be in the presence of God. You are not worthy to be in the kingdom in the first place. But the Pharisees not only thought themselves worthy of the kingdom, they expected the seats of honor when the time came. Well, here's the thing about Jesus. And, and, and beloved... So many people miss this today about Jesus and so many people miss this today about how we as Christians need to be living. Jesus never let an opportunity pass to shatter someone's self-righteous, illegitimate expectations. People want to call, they, they want to say, well, Jesus, God is love. God, he, He's peace. He, he's love. Beloved, Jesus never missed an opportunity to crush someone's false sense of spiritual security. Because what Jesus knew and what we need to learn is that it is unloving to do any less. Jesus knew the difference between the kingdom of God and the lake of fire is too important to leave somebody with false hope without at least trying to call attention to their error and correct them. Beloved, sometimes as Christians, we think we are being loving, so we are really too nice. But nice isn't always the equivalent of love. Yes, we are to season everything we say, everything we do with grace. Don't hear what I'm not saying, beloved. But what Jesus wasn't always nice. He was very forthright about the condition of people he was interacting with. And I think sometimes we're too nice instead of being loving enough. Jesus called attention to their error. This time would be no different. And we need to hear that because there are a great many, just like in the Pharisees' days, who honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. So let the one who needs to hear, hear. What did Jesus say? How did he respond to the Pharisee? Well, look at verses 16 and 17. 
let me get in the right place. <laughs> but he said to him, A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. This wasn't just a dinner, but a big dinner. And it wasn't just guests, but many invited guests. This, beloved, is an event like no other. This was a huge, magnificent feast, unrivaled by any other. And the feeling coming across is that the host in this story, he's inviting all these guests. He's extremely resourceful. He, he's extremely wealthy, rich beyond belief. And he gives the invitation. And the invitation comes in two stages. The first is like those we get for parties and events today. It lets you know, hey, you're invited to this event. But, you know, today we send out invitations. We're expected to give a day and a time and a place. That's not what happened back in the first century. You would give the invitation, which was the promise that the dinner is going to happen, but you, the specific time is not listed. That's what the second invitation would be for. It's an invitation to all those already invited, letting them know now is the time. And that's why in the story Jesus told, the host sent his slave to let those invited know it's time, come, for everything is ready now. This is the type of event you'd never miss. It's the type of event you'd never want to miss. And yet, look at what happened in verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The, the way the invited guest responded was the exact opposite of what you'd expect, or how they themselves had responded to the first invitation. It's also the opposite of how the scribes and Pharisees would have responded to an invitation to a prestigious event that would potentially elevate them. No, instead of going to the party when they were told it was time, it was excuses, excuses, excuses. I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. As if the land wouldn't be there after the banquet was over. As if the land would suddenly disappear. Or how about, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Again, nothing urgent. Nothing that couldn't have waited for later. And besides, if you're going to spend that much on oxen, five yoke of oxen, not a cheap thing, wouldn't you have tried them out before you bought them? And if you're that rich to buy that much of oxen, a huge investment, one ox of being a huge investment for a Jew, you probably have servants who could have done that, by the way. So this was an insult. This was illegitimate. It was an insulting excuse. And then finally, the third one is equally absurd. I have married a wife, and for that reason, I cannot come. And why is that absurd? It's because in first century Judaism, women don't prevent their husbands from doing anything that they want to do. So for the invited guest to give this excuse, this was an insult. And yet, isn't this, beloved, isn't this how so many who even profess to be Christians treat Christ? Yeah, it, isn't this how I will get to Christ when I want to? I, I, have, I need to do this right now. I need to do that right now. 
I'm, I'm sorry I can't obey Jesus Christ right now. Isn't this how so many approach corporate worship, which is commanded by God? Don't forsake the assembling of believers. Isn't this how so many treat coming to gather with the church? Well, the slave came back and he reported all of this to his master and you can understand why he became angry. He had been generous. He had been kind. He, he was inviting all these many people to come and enjoy his lavish hospitality, but instead of a thankful response, instead of an eager readiness to come to him, he is not even greeted, but he's dismissed with indifference and contempt. It was an outrageous insult showing that for all of their talk, they didn't care for him in the least. Well, you and I throw a party and no one decides to show up, we cancel the party, right? No, not, not this guy, not this master, because rather than pack everything up, too much had gone into the preparation. The cost had been too high. The banquet is going to go on. So the master, the head of the household, says to the slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here, what? What did we see in, in chapter, in verses 1 through 14? The poor, the crippled, the blind, and lame. Same four words. Go to the less desirable people. Go to those who have less honor in your sight. Go to those you wouldn't think to invite in the first place. Go to those you might have... You might have to strongly persuade them to come because they can't reciprocate as is the custom. They're poor. They, they, they don't come close to having the means to reciprocate. It, if they came, it would be a debt that they could never repay. So when the, <clears throat> when the slave came back and, and told his master it was done, he did this, but there was still room. He said, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. In other words, go further. Go further out. Go further down the social ladder. Go further. Go lower than you thought you were going before. Bring the people you never think about inviting. Bring the people scattered about and compel them to come in. They'll be even more reluctant than the last group, but get them here. Drag them kicking and screaming. Because what I've got is something that needs to be given away. Well, the dinner, the party would go on. But as for that first group, those invited in the first place, look at verse 24. For I tell you, none, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. The poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, the socially undesirable, the ones outside these walls who seem so unlikely, they would enjoy the banquet, but none of those who received the first invitation and later rejected it, making excuses, and, and they were all religious, none of them would taste the dinner. And Jesus closed the story with the words, For I tell you. And Jesus says, I tell you a lot in Luke. And he says it to signal the point of a teaching. 
the point of a story he's telling, the point he's trying to make to those he's talking to. We see it several times, just a couple that, that I want to mention. In, in, in chapter 11, verse 8, he uses it to emphasize that those who persist in faithful prayer see answers. In Luke eleven fifty one, he uses it to show that that generation of unbelieving Israel is going to be charged with the death, with the blood of, of the prophets and apostles. Why? Because they're rejecting him. They're rejecting the truth. In Luke 12, verse 5, I tell you, you better fear him who can cast into hell. So, I tell you, I say to you, those are words of emphasis, and they are here too. Because the head of the household, the master in this parable, is God himself. This It is God who created all things, and he is the one who has issued the invitation to the banquet. It's his party. And the banquet, beloved, is eternal salvation. It is everlasting life. In His glory, in His kingdom, God has seen fit, beloved, to invite sinful humanity unto Himself. God is holy, 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 but in His lavish generosity, in His amazing grace, He has invited sinners to eat of the bread of life and drink living water and enjoy the kingdom of God forever. So, He sent out the invitation. Who were the slaves that gave the first invitation. Well, these were the Old Testament prophets. Abraham, who testified of the faithfulness of his covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Moses, who uh, God appeared to in a burning bush. God used him to lead his chosen nation out of bondage in Egypt and then led them through the wilderness to the cusp of the promised land. They were men like Micaiah who stood up to King Ahab refusing to tickle the king's ears and say what he wanted him to say but instead he said that which the Lord says that I shall speak. They were men like Isaiah who foretold of the righteous branch of Jesse the father of David who would come the suffering servant who would bear the iniquity of us all and there were more and more and more and the guest initially said yes to God's invitation. Now, we have seen in Luke, there. yes, there were times where they treated the prophets with contempt. But they had come to accept what we call the Old Testament as the Word of God. God's chosen people accepted God's revelation for what it was and for what it still is today, beloved. So yes, they accepted the first invitation. They accepted the promise of the kingdom to come when God had it ready. So as the time for dinner approached, here comes John the Baptist with a second invitation. Luke 3.2 In the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness, and he came into all the district around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Beloved, this is the one Isaiah spoke of and Malachi spoke of. He's going to make straight the way of the Lord. He's going to make ready the way of the Lord. He's going to make his path straight. And when the time came, he pointed to his relative and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus came, given the second invitation also, and he said, Come unto me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I 
personally. I will give you rest. Believe in God, believe also in me. I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the one who met all the requirements the Jews had for the Messiah. He was a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was a son of David. He was of the tribe of Judah. He was born in Bethlehem of a virgin, and so on, and so on. And he, yes, he he made the lame to walk. He made the blind to see. He made the deaf to hear. And, oh yeah, he made the dead to live too. But like the invited guest in Jesus' parable, those to whom the first invitation went out, by and large, rejected him. Israel rejected Jesus. They made excuses. He's from Galilee. He's from Nazareth. He's the carpenter's son. He doesn't keep the traditions of the elders. He heals on the Sabbath. And so on and so on. Excuses, excuses, excuses. What excuse are you making this morning, beloved? Are you making excuses before God who has invited you to come unto Him? A pastor by the name of John MacArthur writes, Excuses have been offered throughout history by those who are more interested in the things of the world than God's invitation to salvation. Beloved, rather it be uh, uh, clinging to material things, to money, to a, a, a way of life, to, to comfort and security, whether it be clinging to relationships, clinging to self. Those to whom the initial invitation went out, Israel, they said yes to the promises, but no to his son. They were willing to take the glory but they would not accept the one who would suffer and die on the cross as their Savior, their Messiah, their God. Instead, they remained stiff-necked, a stubborn and obstinate people, to quote the prophet Ezekiel. Instead, they held to the traditions, the words, the regulations of men rather than the word of God. Instead, they held on to and prized their own self-righteousness rather than repenting in humility and trusting in the righteousness of God. Israel said yes to the promises of God, but no to his son. And so they rejected God's invitation. And so yes, God was angry with them. And yes, God is still angry with them. And if you don't think God can be angry with sinners, beloved, you know, we have this, this phrase in churchianity, love the sinner, hate the sin, but that's not exactly how God sees it. Yes, you are to love the sinner and hate the sin, but you have to know, beloved, that God hates those who do iniquity. And if you don't think that's true, read Psalm 5.5. 5. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. And so, yes, God has abandoned Israel to judgment. So as Jesus told the Pharisees in Luke 13, 34 and 35, as we saw, Old Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. And I say to you, or here's another one, I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God has abandoned Israel, beloved, but there will come a time he hasn't forsaken them, okay? He's made promises to Israel. He made promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's going to keep all of those promises. One day all Israel will be saved, to quote Paul. But God had abandoned this generation of Israelites, and he continues to judge those who will not come to his his Messiah, his son. But those Jew and Gentile alike, those who realize how spiritually destitute they are and begin to comprehend the depths of their own sinfulness, those who, who realize how hopeless they are, those who realize that they are the ones who are poor, they are the ones who are crippled and lame and blind. Those in the streets and lanes like the small remnant of believing Jews, those on the highways and then in the hedges, believing Gentiles, those who realize they are unworthy to be at the banquet in the first place and with gratitude accept God's invitation. They will be spared the judgment. And if you accept God's invitation, you will be at His heavenly banquet, beloved. Now, you don't get into that banquet easily. You don't come easily. If you've come to Christ this morning, beloved, you didn't come to Christ easily. You had, well, first thing, Christ had to die for your sins. And then the Father had to raise him from the dead. And then you still being a sinful wretch, and beloved, you were a sinful wretch. And if you, you don't believe that, you don't ever sing Amazing Grace again, okay? You were a sinful wretch. And in the words of Paul in Colossians 1, you were transferred out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. And beloved, that word transferred in that passage carries the sense more like dragged, kicking, and screaming. You were compelled to come in. You had to be dragged. You had to be compelled to come in out of your sinfulness and into his kingdom. That's the grace of God given to you. The invitation went to the Jews first and also to the Gentiles. He will keep his covenants. But now is the time of the Gentiles. And as Paul writes, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in to his banquet, to, to, to the realm of salvation, then all Israel will be saved. But the question to you today is how will you, how have you responded to God's invitation? Far too many darken the doors of local churches and warm pews and they, they say yes to the promises because they want to go to heaven. They want to think good things are going to happen to them after they die because they certainly don't want to go to hell. So they say yes to the promises, but beloved, they say no to the Son by how they live their life. Is that you today? Saying yes to Jesus isn't about being a member of a local church. It's not about showing up for the worship service either. It's not about having perfect attendance. It's not about finding ways even to serve and do things in the local church and through the local church. Although all of that is certainly part of what it means to be faithful, but to truly say yes to, to Jesus, to truly say yes to God's Son, both the promises and the Son, you have to come to Jesus realizing the depths of your own sinfulness. 
You have to come to him in humility. You have to repudiate any shred of self-righteousness, any semblance of worthiness to stand before God on your own. You have to come to Jesus in repentance and faith. You must entrust all that you are, all that you have, all that you will be, all of your hopes, all of your ambitions, everything about you and everything that ever will be about you, you have to give it to him. I'm not a big fan of a commonly used Christian, and I use that in Christian term today, having a personal relationship with God. Not a big fan of it because, truth be told, even the vilest offender has a personal relationship with God. They hate him. And that's, that is a personal relationship. They personally hate God, even if they don't know it, even if they don't admit it. That said, beloved, saying yes to Jesus means abiding in him. Being with him, him being with you. And to put it another way, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Do you do that, beloved? Does the word of Christ dwell richly in you? And I don't mean that you just memorize verses. I don't even mean that you read your Bible every day. But does it permeate who you are? Does it get out of you too? Because Jesus is the only one who gets you through the narrow door. Jesus is the door. You have to have that kind of personal relationship with him. You have to be his and you have to truly belong to him. That's what it means to go into God's banquet. When Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have life abundantly, that everlasting life starts now. It starts at the moment of your salvation. And it continues forever in his kingdom. Do you have it now? Because if you don't have it now, how do you know you'll have it in his kingdom? Do you belong to Jesus right now? Do you say yes to the promises and no to the Son? Come to Christ. Come to Him in humility. Come to Him in obedient faith. He says come. He says repent and believe. Obey Him. Come in your desperation. Come to Him in your hopelessness. Say yes to Jesus. Father, desiring glory is not enough. Your word has told us that we must repent of our sins and believe in the one who is the king of glory, Jesus. So, Father, we pray to you, compel us to come. Compel any sinner who may be pro- professing you in word, but rejecting you indeed, compel them to come. Change our hearts, Father. Help us to see how much grace you show us, how much mercy you bestow upon us, how much love you have lavished upon us. Help us to see that, Father. Help us to see you so that we won't be able to help but follow you in that faith that obeys. With a zeal for you that makes the Pharisees' zeal for their traditions look 
pathetic by comparison. Help us to say yes to your son. That when it comes to your promises, you might say yes to us. We pray this that you might be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.